He was ordinary with exception of miraculous conception. Both his death and his birth were planned from the start. In other words, Jesus knew what he was getting himself into. In fact, when Jesus arrived, he was the long promised deliverer of people. Adam and Eve had disobeyed the parameters that their God had set for them. The serpent had introduced sin into the world. And just eight verses later, God begins to share his plan to save a people for himself. Our scripture reading this morning is in Genesis chapter 3. Please stand for a reading of God's word. Genesis 3, verses 14 and 15. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity or war between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, but you will strike his heel. The word of God, which is living and active, sharper than a two edged sword and lays open the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Let's pray. Lord, you have not left your people in their fallen state. You have spoken and made known a great plan for salvation. Would these words help us to make sense of this world? Would these words give us great courage? Because your salvation extends far as the curse is found. Would you show us today the greatness of your son, Jesus, that we might cling to him by faith as our savior? In his mighty name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. My sister and I had a Christmas dream. For years, we longed for my family to gather together and watch a Christmas movie. And so after dinner, on the night we had planned, my sister would run and select the right VHS. And then she would diligently rewind it, fast forward back through the previews, and stop and turn the VCR off at the very moment that the feature presentation was about to begin. At about that point, my parents would call in from the other rooms. Go ahead and start it. We're almost there. At that point, my parents would then begin to check basketball scores, take in a few minutes of the news, read the mail, huts in the garage. Inevitably, they always got to the living room 10 minutes after the movie had started. My parents, having missed the first 10 minutes of the movie, would then pepper us with questions for the rest of the night. About the movie, my mom would give it a solid 30 minute try before announcing this movie doesn't make any sense. And if it's a quiet December night and you listen hard enough in any Calcert household, no matter where it is in the country, you can still hear the traditional sound of my sister screaming at the top of her lungs. The first 10 minutes of the movie are the most important part. And Big Sister was right. The first 10 minutes of any story are often a very important part. So when Moses, inspired by the Holy Spirit, begins to put together the first five books of the Bible, he begins with an opening scene that helps us make sense of the entire Bible and even make sense of this world that we're living in. It's the story of a good creator and his creation. 
It's the story of mankind who in some way is a lot like their God and mankind's fall into sin. And as the opening scene ends here in Genesis 3, it's easy to miss perhaps the most important part. The enemy who has introduced this sinful idea that maybe God doesn't want what's best for us is suddenly addressed directly by his creator. And the creator says to the enemy, because of what you you have done, there will be warfare forevermore between you and this woman. Between her offspring and your offspring. And there might come days where you strike at his heel and it looks like this world is falling into your hands. But do not be mistaken. There's coming a child who will absolutely destroy you. The history of the Christian church has been convinced that this is a Christmas passage. And while angels and Santa Claus and shepherds might get a lot of press. And you're probably not going to see a yard inflatable of a decapitated serpent. I think we do well to change that. So my humble contribution to the Christmas canon, and hopefully it's canonized, at least in my house it will be, is a Christmas poem based on Genesis 3.15. It's called The Gospel According to Genesis. For pulling off this wicked plan, God put war between the snake and man. The snake will bite the heels of him who was born up there in Bethlehem. At times... The snake will seem to win until he's struck by woman's kin. And the main point of this passage, the main point of our message today, and arguably the central point of the Bible, is that the boy inside the manger bed was born to crush the serpent's head. The boy inside the manger bed was born to crush the serpent's head. There's a terrifically true Christmas song titled Born to Die. And that is absolutely true. The God man was born to die. First Timothy one says he came into the world to save sinners, to suffer in the place of sinners and reconcile to them to God. But it could also be said that he came to kill because there is one who has invented lies. There is one who has introduced the suspicion that maybe God doesn't know what's best. That maybe God isn't totally in control and maybe God isn't good. And that one is going to pay. And God tells him this right at the beginning of the story, right at the beginning of mankind's history, because there's nothing that the enemy was going to be able to do to stop the birth of his assassin. God is totally in control. Readers of Genesis are told right here in this passage, right at the beginning, that there's a better man coming. A man who is able to do what Adam failed to do. What was Adam supposed to do? Adam was supposed supposed to promote the flourishing of all people. Do you remember what God had commanded him? Be fruitful. Multiply. Adam was supposed to make everyone around him benefit. Adam was supposed to fill the ends of the earth with pictures of what, what our God is like. But Adam failed. Elementary school students, you guys know Adam failed. You guys know the story of Adam and Eve very well. Elementary school students, I want to talk to you guys for a second because you guys know this story so well. You know why I love the story of Adam and Eve? Because it's not at the end of the Bible, but because it's at the beginning of the Bible. Right after Adam and Eve broke their relationship with God, God makes a big time promise. He says, I'm going to fix this. Here's how one of my favorite children's Bibles puts it. This is from the 
the biggest story written by a, a Presbyterian minister named Kevin DeYoung. Right at the end of the story of Adam and Eve, God makes a promise. And here's how DeYoung says it. God promised that one of Eve's children would someday, eventually, sooner or later, crush the head of that nasty snake. Nobody knew how or when, but she would have a child to make things right. Just like a movie makes sense in light of the first 10 minutes, the entire Bible should be read in light of this promise. This morning, we're going to construct a framework for Bible reading and honestly for viewing life. A story and a framework that come right out of this passage, right out of Genesis 3.15. The first piece of that framework is this. A war exists. The word for enmity that God says is between the serpent and the woman here is Eva. Eva literally means the intention to kill. Here's what that means for us. Sin and the serpent intend to kill you. They intend to separate you from your God who is life. And because of that, fear and death and sadness are very much a part of the world. Now, many people, even though fear and sin and death are a part of this world, many people think that there's no room for grief and sadness and death at Christmas. That somehow Santa Claus and Hallmark and hot chocolate are supposed to fix those things. And that's not Christmas. That's not real Christmas. That's pop Christmas. What is real Christmas? Real Christmas acknowledges that sin, grief, and death very much are active and alive in this world. And our God hasn't left us alone in that world. But he actually came to be with us in it. He's come to be with us in it. And the boy who came inside the manger bed... He came to crush the serpent's head. All of those things have days that are numbered. They're not going to last forever. That's real Christmas. He came. He is bringing about salvation. He hasn't left us in this world by ourselves. The first truth about this war, the battle is universal. It says here that this war is between her offspring and the offspring of the serpent. Now, here's the question. If all of Eve's offspring are included in this war, how many human beings does that mean? It means all of us. All of us have been affected by it. The way Romans 3 says it, which Sarah Pierce read just a few minutes ago, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all infected by this disease. The way Ephesians 2 says it, we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind. In 1904, in the Northeast, a fungus was discovered that was killing off American chestnut trees. At the time, the American chestnut tree covered one third of the eastern forests of the United States. And while scientists bickered and argued, is this fungus really going to kill off the American chestnut tree? Guess what? The American chestnut tree is gone. There is not a single full size Wild American chestnut tree left. Whether you believe yourself to be infected by sin or not, everyone has been infected by sin. Whether you believe sin to be deadly or not, we have all fallen into the death that sin brings. We are all infected. But Ephesians 2 doesn't leave us just with that bad news. 
Ephesians 2, right after saying we are all children of wrath because we all fell with Adam. It says, but God. A lot of people say those two words, but God, are their favorite two words in the entire Bible. But God, being rich in love because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our sins and trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Though the war is universal and all of us have fallen into sin with Adam, the God of the universe is able to win it. Though it will look like the serpent will have days that he's going to win, he is no match for the enemy that he chose for himself. The plan that God called out right in the beginning, just like Babe Ruth pointing to the finish, is absolutely happening just as he scheduled it to. He is totally in control. The second truth of the battle is this. It is between two seeds. The Hebrew word that we translate as offspring in Genesis 3.15 is the same word that the Hebrew Bible uses for seed. The word is Zerah. And this word appears all over the first scene of the Bible. God creates plants. And what do they do? They yield Zerah. He creates fruit that become the kind of fruit that they will become based on their what? Seed. Zerah. Trees that have seed hidden inside their fruit. And then suddenly a war breaks out right here in this new creation. And it's between two kinds of seed. The seed of the adversary will attempt to kill the seed of the woman and the seed of the woman will attempt to kill the seed of the adversary. Just like creation was supposed to bear fruit and grow and multiply and fill the entire world with the goodness of God. Now sin grows and multiplies and reaches to the very ends of the earth. And these two seeds, God says, will inhabit mankind simultaneously. They're both going to exist at the same time. Here's what that means for world history. At every era of world history, there will be those who have been blinded by the enemy and do not see the glory of God. And there will be those that God has delivered from the enemy for his own purpose. In every era of world history, God has saved a people for himself. And this tendency starts right with Adam and Eve's first children. Do you remember Cain and Abel? Abel brings a sacrifice to God. God accepts it. Cain is envious of Abel. Cain doesn't really love God. Cain eventually kills Abel in jealousy. And it looks like, again, the serpent is having his way. That his plan and his work in the world are going to win. But what does God do? He brings for Eve another child. Another seed. Seth. And through Seth, God keeps his plan of salvation alive. God keeps Jesus's lineage alive. Scattered through the entire Bible is this idea that no matter how bad it gets, God is always going to keep a people for himself. Our passage this morning says that there will be days where it looks like the serpent is going to win, but he will eventually be crushed. He cannot win. God has spoken and it will surely happen. This is the truth. That's the primary answer to what I think is the number one pass, number one question youth pastors get from godly parents and grandparents. And it's a great question. And it goes something like this. How is it possible to raise children to know the Lord when sin has this much of a grip on the world? How is that even possible? Grandparents learn how to use email to email youth pastors this. How is it possible? 
Do you remember Peter asked a very similar question in Mark 10? He said, who then can be saved? Do you remember Jesus' response, Mark 10, 27? He says, with man it is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. The 21st century is shaping up just like the first century did. Nations are at war with nations. People are at odds with one another. We think we're unique because we live in fear of what our technology might do to us. Well, in the first century, the most vile piece of technology on the planet was the Roman cross. And as Tony Ranke, one contemporary author, put it, Jesus came into the world that he created, hacked the cross, used it for his own purposes, and continued to reunite people with himself. No matter how bad it gets, Jesus is totally in control and able to save people for himself. The whole Bible points to this. A war exists, but a child will win it. That's the next truth in our outline. A war exists, but a child will win it. Our passage also tells us about this child. It says that Adam failed to disrupt the work of the adversary. He watched passively as the snake manipulated his wife's thinking. When Eve struggled to remember the exact words of the commands that God had given them, Adam was unable to help. And then having watched his wife fall into sin, Adam follows her and rebels against God. And right at that moment, right when sin enters the world, right when it looks like the serpent's plan is happening, and it looks like God's people have wandered away from him, God makes a gracious promise. It looks like it's all over for humanity. There's going to be no relationship with their God. And in that moment, God makes a promise saying he's going to fix it. There's going to be a child who is going to come and fix it, who's going to do what Adam should have done. And so in the same way that you watch a good movie and each new character, you begin to wonder, is this the guy who's going to fix it? As you read through the Old Testament, you begin to wonder, is this the guy who's going to fix it? When Noah gets off the boat after the flood, you expect Noah is going to make a new creation where people no longer sin and they honor their God. And Noah fails. And then when Moses is in the wilderness, you begin to think, is this the guy? Is this the time the Hebrew people are no longer going to sin and rebel against their God? And they fail. In the era of the kings, you expect that maybe David or Solomon is finally going to get sin and wickedness outside of Israel. And they fail. The story goes on longer than expected. And that's why Charles Wesley, who wrote the opening hymn of our Christmas Eve service tomorrow, says it this way. Late in time he come. This is in heart the herald angels sing. Late in time he come. It might have taken longer than expected, but late in time he came, offspring of the virgin womb. Unlike Adam, Jesus perfectly performs what was required of him. Jesus lived blamelessly. Everywhere Jesus went, people flourished, just like Adam was supposed to live that way. Jesus begins to feed the hungry. He begins to heal those who are broken. It looks like he's making everything right again. Yet the sin of all who ever had or ever would trust in the true God for their salvation was put on him. Jesus suffered in our place and he died. And it looked again as if the serpent's plan was coming to fruition. But unlike all who had come before him, Jesus didn't stay dead. He was more powerful than death. He rose from the grave, and so will all of the righteous seed who have placed their faith in him. 
Here's how that children's Bible that I love to read from says it. As you may have heard, and as you definitely should tell someone else, the snake crusher who died couldn't stay dead. He couldn't. Death had no claim on him. The devil had no case against him. And sin had no wages for him that he couldn't pay. Jesus just couldn't stay dead, and God just would not let him rot in the tomb. So on the third day, God raised him from the dead. The boy inside the manger bed really did crush the serpent's head. I'd like to conclude with the story of that hymn that we're going to sing tomorrow. Hark the Herald Angels Sing is one of the few Christmas carols that was written during its era. And that's because in 1627, the Puritan English Parliament abolished Christmas carols. They believed that they were part of the worldly festival that Christmas was. And and just a few years later, it was the leadership of that same Puritan Parliament that led to the Westminster Standards, the the standards of faith that govern this church. So if, if it seems like Presbyterians are old Scrooges that have trouble smiling at good music, this is just part of a long history of old Scrooges struggling to smile at good music. But being a good Methodist, Charles Wesley tried to help. One of the original verses to that tune, which is now left out of most hymnals, reads like this. Come, desire of nations, come, fix in us thy humble home. Rise the woman's conquering seed. Bruising us the serpent's head, Adam's likeness now efface, stamp thine own image in its place, final Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. This is a Christmas carol that teaches about a child who was promised, who destroys the devil, excels past Adam and begins to create a new people for himself. These are truths that give us hope no matter how bad it begins to look in this world. Christmas is proof that God's plan is going off just as he scheduled it to. He is totally in control. There will be times when the serpent strikes at the heels of man, but in the end, he will strike the serpent's head. I asked our high school group about a year ago, which which is more lethal, a strike to the heel or a strike to the head? And Ben Bryan, a football player, said, oh, man, he it sounds like he's going to get him back. And he will. As my children's storybook Bible ends, the snake crusher is coming back. And he's going to wipe out all of the bad guys and wipe away every tear. He's coming to make a new beginning and to finish what he started. He's coming to give us the home that we once had and that we might have forgotten that we had lost. So keep waiting for him. Keep believing in him. Keep trusting that the story isn't over yet. God's promises never fail, and the promised one never disappoints. Let us remind ourselves of the hope that we share in Jesus, who came as our promised Savior by reading together the verse of the week, which is at the bottom of the outline in your bulletin, Romans five nineteen. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also... Through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you did what our father Adam could not do. 
And you have created a people for yourself that will fill the entire world with the glory of God. Would you be treasured in every heart that meets in this place? And would you show us your blessing and kindness? Would it be a great excitement to our hearts that you have come and that you will come again? Hasten the day that the story of your life, your death and your resurrection will fill the earth with the good news of the gospel. We know you will not leave us in our sin for you first came to dwell among us. Amen.